welcome back to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Krista Sipp, and I'm a programs manager here at Can Do MS. As a reminder, this November we're celebrating National Caregivers Month. A huge thank you to all the support partners and caregivers out there. At Can Do MS, we talk a lot about the journey of the caregiver or support partner. Living well with MS takes a team effort, and we often say MS is a we disease, not a me disease. It affects not just the person with MS, but also their family, friends, and others who support and care for them. Today's podcast is episode 41, entitled Caring and Curating, a Support Partner's Journey. As part of the Embrace and Care series, we'll hear from support partner Cindy Fink, who will let us in on her perspective as she supports her family and juggles life with MS. Hi, I'm Roz Kalb, and I'm a clinical psychologist with Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. And I'm excited to be here today to have a conversation with Cindy Fink about what it's like to be a care partner for her husband, Kemp, who lives with MS. Welcome, Cindy. And can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your story? Sure. Thanks, Roz. I'm really excited to be with you. I was looking forward to this all week, knowing we were going to have this conversation. I am Cindy Fink, and um, I think I would start by saying I knew very little to nothing about MS until the man I was dating at the time, Kemp, went to a doctor's appointment and had a kind of funny symptom feeling in his arm, and he pretty quickly got diagnosed as having relapse remitting. And so we we were about a year after we had started dating at that point and a year before we got married and we learned together about MS and he had relapsed remitting, as I said, and people said it was a pretty good prognosis and he got on the drugs right away. And so we weren't too concerned about it. And so we got married and then we adopted our daughter, Kate from China, something I had always wanted to do. And Kemp was game for that. So that's how we became parents. And we were both working in our careers and moving up and around. And we ended up moving actually to Cleveland, Ohio, which is about four hours from our parents because it felt like the right thing to do. And there was nothing going on really at that point, majorly with his health. And so that was, I'd say the first 10 years of our marriage. Um, today, he is almost 49, and he's now confined to a wheelchair. So we've gone through all of the phases, if you will, from about six years ago, starting to stumble, needing a cane, using a walker, then a scooter, and now a wheelchair. And um, he, about three years ago, went on disability because we realized that his job was not helping him. Certainly, it was probably hindering his care and his health. And so I became the primary earner in the family. Um, we became a, you know, a single, um, I guess, income with then a disability income that obviously is fixed. And um, we also started taking on the care of him through some of my time, but also through caregivers coming into the home which was obviously a very different dynamic. Um, so I'd say the last six years has been a steady progression of 
changing and constantly changing as a family into these new realities that we never expected and we had never really talked about either as a couple, even in the beginning with the diagnosis, because we just, at the time, I don't think had anyone counseling us to look ahead or talk ahead. So, um, so here we are, we have a 15 year old now, almost. And um, we have Kemp who's here, of course, every day. And most of his mornings are with caregivers, but in the afternoons, he's trying to do volunteer work and community service that he can do generally from the house. And, um, and I work now remotely because of the pandemic, but at a pretty consuming job in, in my communications career. So you mentioned leaving your parents. Do you have four elderly parents who are on your mind as well as Kemp and your fabulous almost 15-year-old daughter? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because that too has changed this year. Um, unfortunately, my dad passed away this spring and we needed Sorry. to make a decision about, you know, what to do with my mom. And so she has now moved to Cleveland and is in an assisted living apartment not too far from us. And because she has Alzheimer's, so now I've got a second neurological disease surrounding me, um, she needs a lot of attention and care, which I wasn't having to do because my dad was doing that until just this year, really the last six months. And so um, I was telling a friend, you know, that saying about a sandwich generation. Um, and, you know, my friends who are all my age are in a sandwich generation themselves. They've got their teenagers or their kids and they've got their aging parents. And I am that, but I also have my spouse who's right in the middle. So I was telling my friend, I'm like a double decker sandwich. You are a double decker club sandwich. Cindy, how, how have you managed this? You had to pivot really quickly. Kemp's progression, once it started, was really quite rapid. The same time your child is growing up and your parents are facing health issues. So what strategies have you used during this pivot to try and manage well, I think my caveat, of course, has to be, I don't have it all figured out. And you know that when we've talked in the past, um, I don't know if anyone has the right answers. And so I, I want to be clear, I'm not doing this well, even most days. I think if I do 50% well, I feel like it's a good day. Um, I think a lot of my strategy is plan ahead as much as possible, but that's like a day or a week or a month, maybe at a time, because things change so much and so quickly with this disease that mm -hmm. if you plan too far out, you're just going to be disappointed. But to try to look a day, a week, a month ahead of the things that as a family we want to do, we're trying to do, we need to do, um, so that we have the time to do the advanced work that with MS and and a mobility disorder you need to do. You know, if we want to go um, on a picnic, let's say in the middle of summer, we can't just pack up and quickly go on a picnic. Like that used to be us, that's not us anymore. And so we need time to plan it. And a lot of that planning falls on me, um, which I'm happy to do. It's just that having the time and the attention to do it. So one of my strategies I'd say is planning ahead. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other strategy 
and I don't know if this is a strategy, but it's a mindset that I've really tried and I'm trying and I'm not always good about it, but I'm really trying to remind myself is that we all have nine lives. And by that, I mean, I look around at my friends and they are becoming empty nesters and they're going on trips with their spouses and they're, um, you know, doing things that sure Kemp and I would love to do and probably do easily, more easily than we can do it now. But I remind myself, Kemp and I traveled a lot when we were first married and when we were dating and even when Kate was little, um, we were bouncing around a lot to the places on our list. And I'm so thankful we did that because that was like one of our nine lives and we did that. And, and it's not to say we don't have other places we want to go now, but I try to remind myself that I've been in that situation. I've had those memories, those experiences with him. And the same thing sometimes with Kate, oftentimes she'll look at friends who are out throwing the, you know, softball around with their dad in the backyard. And she laments about how she doesn't get to do that. And that breaks your heart. But I try to remind her that her dad for her first, like probably seven to eight years was that dad. And she doesn't have all those memories, but I can show her pictures and I can tell her stories. Like she had that part of her nine lives also. Mm -hmm. And it's like trying to appreciate that we each get a bunch of different lives in our life. And this is the life right now. So given that, that you have this double decker life, where do you find or carve out time for you and your own wellness, your emotional wellness, your physical wellness? How, how are you getting those little tidbits that you need to sustain yourself? I will be honest. I don't think that I do it well. I think this is one of the things that I, um, it's the first thing to go. And especially now that my mom's in the picture and I've got that extra layer of the sandwich added on, the last thing that I take care of is myself, I'll be honest. Um, I had to make a pledge to myself earlier this year and it was actually my dad as he was up here in Cleveland with us at the end of his life telling me I had to watch my health better, like those were his words, that I needed to get back on track. So I've made a, an effort this year to do all of those um, primary care visits and those checkups and those things that we all know we're supposed to do, like our annual evaluations. I made a list and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to have to find the time and I'm going to go down and I'm going to schedule each one because Kemp keeps reminding me that if I don't do those things and I fall down, <laughs> we're all sunk. That's what he always says, and he's right. We're all sunk if I go down. So um, having to be really deliberate about those kinds of things, I think, is important. The other thing this year um, that I've done is what I call micro habits. I've been reading um, a number of articles about micro habits and how it's hard to like take on a whole new big habit. Like so many people tell me I need to take up yoga. If one more person tells me to take up yoga, I'm going to scream. Because I don't have a minute in the day to go out of this house to a yoga studio and take a you know string of classes. But I can get down on a yoga mat and stretch every morning, I decided. That's a micro habit. So I'm trying to do those small things that aren't like big efforts and taking on a new initiative and a new project. 
but small little things that I feel like, okay, I can carve out five minutes for these five things during my day. So stretching is one and um, it sounds silly, but like flossing my teeth is one, like just some of those things that I feel like I'm doing something for myself, adding extra vegetables at lunch, like the healthy things that we all should do, but we kind of forget to do. I remember to do them, but I have to find time to do them. When we talked another time, you used a phrase that really intrigued me. You said that in order to do all this, you and in partnership with Kemp had to curate your life to make it work. Could you say a little more about what that means? Yeah, I guess that's one of the other strategies when you asked me that question that um, Kemp and I have had in the last six to seven years really had to divide and conquer because there's just no way that I can do everything that we would have both ended up doing. It, it can't all fall on me. So we've had to divide and conquer and we've had to do it based on our abilities and our interests sometimes, but more and more based on our abilities. So like homework, Kemp's really good and he's here at the house and there's nothing preventing him from managing the homework um, at night with Kate. So he takes that on. And grocery shopping, thank God for the pandemic and all of the delivery services, he can grocery shop. I haven't grocery shopped in a couple of years because he can be in charge of managing that whole process and ordering and everything. Kate and I, of course, have to put it away. So that's one way we're like curating, we're planning and managing our lives is to think, how are we going to divide and conquer based on abilities? Because the worst thing for Kemp, I think, is if he feels that he doesn't have a place and a value in this family anymore, and he does. It's just that sometimes they're different than when he was working full time or you know before when he was able to walk without assistance of a mobility device. So the curating is finding out what we're each able to do and good at, and then saying, okay, we're going to divide up that way. The other, the other thing I think I might've meant that day, Roz, was I think it's like what I was saying earlier, the advanced work. I want us to be able to do the things that we wanted to always do. We wanted to take Kate to Disney World. So when she was nine, we went to Disney World. Kemp was in a scooter at that point. And a couple of years later, we went to Epcot. He was then in a wheelchair at that point. We didn't just decide to go to Disney World and show up down there. We had to really plan those trips. We had to do a lot of research. We had to ask a lot of people for help when we were down there. Um, but we did it and we have great memories. And she got the Disney World experience that we wanted her to have. But it took advance work. It took effort to planet. And so that's, I guess, the other way that we curate is we talk about what we want to try to do, and then we try to figure it out. It just takes time and planning. You're describing a remarkable partnership. And I think one of the things I want to call out here is it's a partnership in which each of you contributes and gives and each of you receives. And that's what helps the partnership, I think, feel healthy or sound healthy to me um, because everybody's thriving with the way you two work together. What do you think, uh, as a last and tough question, I think, 
What do you think are the ways in which your partnership um, is built on strengths, um, ways it's had to change or evolve? Um, what would you say about your partnership over these years together with Kemp? Um, I think the challenge with MS is that it hits you when you're young. And so in many ways, you end up becoming an older couple than you are chronologically. Mm -hmm. And you get to face things, health issues, and just kind of the quality of life that you would probably face when you're, you know, 40 years older, but you're doing it when you're in your 40s in our case. Um, I think having a friendship has been the most important thing that no matter what is going to come next, loyalty and friendship is at the end of the day, the thing that's there and stays there. Um, I think, and this is where I have the hardest time. I think that you cannot demonize the person. You have to demonize the disease. Like I have to be mad at MS. And I think about the grief cycle and how anger is right up there at the top of the grief cycle. There's no question I am still in the grief cycle with the fact that MS is in our lives. And it's easy to get angry at, at Kemp. And I'm really awful sometimes at it because I get too angry too quickly at him when I need to be angry at the disease. So it's like having those conversations, I think, and calling each other on it. Like, you know what? You're being angry at me, and I think you're misplacing your anger right now. Um, so I would say those are a few things that have kept us going. Um, and the, the one other thing I'll say that I'm starting to realize is I can't, I can't do it all, and I can't pretend to do it all. And I need to realize where my weaknesses are. And like in my case, I am not a good caregiver. I mean, I, I'm just, I never went into medical, nursing, physician, anything. I'm just not good at that. I don't have the patience or the kind of nurturing personality that um, the saints who do go into medical professions have. And Kemp and I talk a lot about that. And um, so I have to outsource kind of for that. Like I have to find other people if at all possible, who can help him with those things so that I can do the things that I probably am better at, like curating our experiences, managing our finances, going to work every day to um, make that primary earning. And so I think, you know, we talk quite a bit about that as well, which is what should we take off of me because it's not my strength, <laughs> if at all possible. And sometimes families can't, I realize, and people can't, but recognizing and being honest with yourself and knowing what you're good at and what you're not and then what are you going to do about it I think is important. If you had one message that you wanted to give to other support partners out there whether they're new to the role or further along what would it be? Um, I think it's that you're not alone. I think in the beginning when Kemp's health was starting to first decline, it felt like I was the only person in the world who had a relationship like this, a family like this, this kind of stuff was happening to my family. Um, and I think a lot of it again is because you're young when, when MS ha happens and hits you and 
So you're looking around at other people and friends who are in the prime of their life. And, you know, fortunately, I think in most of our cases, our friends are not sick with a chronic disease. So you just don't see it in your friend group and your view, you know, your view group. And so it felt really lonely. And um, I think you have to find, and I have yet to, you know, consistently find this, but you have to find, even if it's, you know, virtually someone else who's experiencing this, or in our case, we found a really great social worker at the MS Center where Kemp goes, and she knew so much about families dealing with MS that she became someone to talk to, and she could share experiences and perspectives, and it felt like, wow, we're not dealing with this alone. So I'd say to everyone, find someone, you know, find a group, whatever it takes, but don't feel like you're the only one dealing with this because you're not. You've given so many gems of information and recommendations to people in your situation. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. One of the things that comes through loudly and clearly is how important communication has been for the two of you. And um, I'm just thrilled that you came today to share all of this. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it a lot. You're very welcome. This podcast is part of Embracing Carers, an initiative led by EMD Serono in collaboration with leading caregiver organizations around the world to increase awareness and action about the often overlooked needs of caregivers. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Can Do MS podcast. Please check out more of the Embracing Carers program on our website, cando-ms.org. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week.